Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Paul with us here today, who is one of the first business and marketing coaches to focus on the needs of conscious entrepreneurs and social impact businesses. He also works with leaders to help them increase the positive impact they have in their organizations and in the world. Paul is the former director of social media for Wisdom 2.0, one of the premier mindfulness brands in the world. In 2017, he founded Awarepreneurs because he kept getting feedback that it was time for a community that leverages the power of the intersection of conscious business, social impact, and awareness practices for positive change. Today is a dynamic community of 300 plus social entrepreneurs, and they have one of the more popular podcasts in that space. Paul, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jesse. I love what you're doing with this series. Thank you. Paul, I love the notion of intersecting consciousness with business. Can you, can you expand on what that is and what drove you there? Because I think it's such a, God, I think it's such an incredibly beautiful notion, and I think it's probably more relevant now than ever before too Hmm. what i would say for 15 years i did community work in the nonprofit sector working with teens and families and we were working around violence and engaging young men as fathers and restorative justice and domestic violence and i was i was outside it was it was beautiful work and it was we were dealing with hard things but it was it was it was sacred work jesse and the resources available to do that work, it always felt like we were like praying for the crumbs, right? We were in the nonprofit sector and all the horsepower was over in business, right? So like the most sacred work about families and healing and justice was like begging for crumbs and the, and the engine was over here. And I was like, something's got to change. I burnt out after about 15 years. And so I started reflecting on, I, I've, been a meditator since I'm 17 years old and and wisdom teachers have been saying for a really long time that human attention is the single most valuable resource we have Mm. and in a modern economy the adults in a modern economy for the most part you know we spend more hours working than doing anything else I love my family and my friends and I did yoga this morning and I meditate and I play music and I garden all. I love doing all these things. I trail run and I work more than any of them. And I work less than the average American adult human. So there's an incredible power and poignancy in what we do for work because it's just the highest constant. There's just pure math. <laughs> there's more concentrated human energy in what we do for work just because of the number of hours we do it. And I wanted to step into that power and poignancy and see what does it look like to try to bring awareness of our values, our purpose, the impact we're having on the planet to that domain. That's incredible. When you, when you work with someone, Paul, and it's their first time really holding space with you, and they're coming from that traditional entrepreneurial mindset of the grind, the side hustle, you know, well, if you're working 12 hours, I'll work 15. If you're, if you're sleeping (laughs) in your car, I'll sleep under my desk. Right. You know, what is the biggest revelation they have when they begin to work with you? Because I can imagine just, just your presence is so calming and, and almost inspiring of what could be possible. And it, it almost, 
it reflects, I feel like, the life that everybody wants to live in the sense of why we get into this whole crazy game in the first place. So what is their big revelations when they first begin to hold space with you? Hmm. I like four very simple questions and think about them as concentric rings, Jesse. In the entrepreneur world, in the business world, as we know it, tend to, I would say, do it backwards. So the first question is why? And that's like in the center of everything. Think of Simon Sinek's incredible work with Start With Why. What are your values? What do you, what's your purpose? What are you even doing with your life? And what's the positive impact you're here on planet Earth to have? Right? Most businesses aren't having that conversation. Right? And I put that right in the center of everything. And then there's the who. Who are you particularly well-suited to have impact with? Right. For me, it's people who have values and awareness. You know, it's already on their radar. I don't have to like try to teach somebody that that's important. They're already trying to have that. And I can help somebody in that place think about their business or their career in a way that somebody it's not on their radar. I don't belong. Let, that's somebody else. That's somebody else's job. Right. So you start with why, then you expand out to who, then you start to think about what, and then you think about how. And many entrepreneurs are doing it backwards. They're thinking about how and what. That's where the majority of their attention, they're not really thinking about deeply being of service to a particular kind of person on planet Earth. And they're certainly not sitting with the values and the impact as central to everything. And just that little simple, like knowing what question to ask when. And I so what I say, if there's an entrepreneur who hasn't been thinking about this in a business perspective, I love that you're asking about the how. What are the strategies and the techniques or the platforms? I love that conversation. But walk with me back just a little bit. And let's ask a couple of other questions first. And then when you get to that platform and you take on that strategy, you're going to do a new marketing strategy or try a new platform or build a thing. It's going to have a power and a resonance that somebody who hasn't sat with those other questions, those more central questions, you're going to get more done. You're going to make more money. You're going to help more people, right? You can make the world a better place, not just put another widget out to the world. And particularly mm. in this time, there's a whole lot of humans who are pretty tired of widgets and business as usual, right? It's not working very well. It's some pretty profound ways. So let's ask some different questions and just breathe with me, whatever that impatience and um, difficulty to pause just for a second. Let's acknowledge the feeling and go there anyway. Trust me, you'll have more impact. You'll make more money. You'll be more satisfied with the work if we can spend a little bit of time on those more central questions and then build out. Paul, you work with a large group of these really conscious entrepreneurs. Yeah, at the time of this recording, it is May 7th. I had to check the date, see if that's the whole day's blend together. <laughs> <laughs> today is today, and then it's yeah, like every other yeah. day in the middle of quarantine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. May 7th, 2020, we're still in the middle of the coronavirus quarantine at the time of this recording. With a socially conscious group like that, that's such at your, your fingertips and the discussions you can have, I can imagine it must be so incredible to be a fly on the wall. Hmm. What is on the hearts and minds of, of that group of people? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I know a lot of us are, and I would 
certainly count myself in this, Jesse. Uh, we are at unprecedented levels of economic disruption and, and um, you know, health concerns about health and well-being that in our lifetime, I, I've never seen anything like it. Right? Um, the health disparities that uh, I was just, uh, we were having a really honest conversation in the community about a, a women's prison in Louisiana. There are 195 people in, a, um, in this prison, 192 of them have tested positive for COVID-19. Wow. 192 of 195 people who's in prison in a place like Louisiana, right? It's disproportionately women of color and uh, people from economic disadvantage backgrounds, right? And we're deeply, uh, so that intersection of just the real intergenerational inequalities and who's been left out of the conversations about well-being and economic opportunity is something we care deeply about as a community in an ongoing way. But what, like right now, people are literally dying and people are literally trying to figure out how to feed their family the next meal. There's a huge and growing portion of the population and, um, we're the kind of folks that can't just like sit on a meditation cushion and say, well, if I meditate, the world's going to just figure itself out. That, that's not who, that's not my values. Um, and it's, I'm grateful to be in a, we don't always know what to do and we're trying to help and people are sharing where there's opportunities to do so in very specific ways, but to be in a community that's not practicing what we would call spiritual bypass, right? Again, I'm just going to get on yo my yoga mat. I feel good. Sucks to be you person in prison in Louisiana, but, you know, not my problem. I'm all happy and my vibes are good. I, that's not a form of spirituality that I have a lot of respect for. And mm -hmm. I'm grateful to be in a community that's working in very, you know, ways, best ways we know how of like opportunities to grow a business that could impact somebody's life, to give them a job, could... Uh, raise awareness of somebody who's working to impact communities that are oftentimes left out. I'll give you a really clear example. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I love New Mexico, one of the spiritual, most spiritual places I've ever been. It's also the highest proportion of people of color in the United States and one of the poorest states in the mm -hmm. U.S. And we just published an episode on our podcast, a fabulous man named Peter Sanchez, and he is the CEO of a group called the Atrisco Companies, and they're a collaborative management group. And one of the people I found out about them because my favorite social enterprise in New Mexico called Fathers Building Futures came under their umbrella. Basically, what Fathers Building Futures does is when there's a man coming out of prison, if he has kids and a family and he wants to support him, but it's really hard to get a job when you're coming out of prison, they have a woodworking shop and they train men in really marketable skills of running a woodworking shop and somebody who's coming out of prison does their social media and their marketing and somebody else learns how to do the books. They had this fabulous woodworking business and they make everything from cutting boards to caskets and the men running that are fathers who want to show up in their families but come from difficult backgrounds made some difficult choices wound up in prison in most cases they would be a disposable human 
And this fabulous group of humans said, you're not disposable, come. We'll help you get back on your feet, teach you a workable skill, and we'll help you change the trajectory of your life. Those are the kinds of people we actively search out for and learn from and help them get their messages out there and figure out how we can help businesses like that scale. Paul, you, you touched on a couple things there, and I'm curious for, from this with you. How do you go about facilitating difficult discussions? And I'll, let me preface it by saying, I, you, I heard you mentioned issues of race, you know, economic conditions, uh, poverty, you know, struggling for food. And I, I think one of the things that has been mission accomplished in a massive way, especially in this country, is that we've taken issues of genuine concern and made them so polarizing, right? You even say Republican or Democrat, you're tensing up and you're already casting a judgment of how wrong you are, or how right I am. Yeah. We, and so it, it seems that I, my feeling is there's a lot of people out there who want to have conversations around these important issues, who want to try to create positive change, but their challenge is, is they've been so conditioned to immediately get angry and pissed off when they even come up or to start to yell and finger point and call names and, and tell somebody why they're wrong and why they're right, which does nothing to my impression other than solidify the other person's position. Because you know, So how, how, how do you begin to facilitate those discussions in a way that, and how can we all, I mean, not just you, but how can we all begin to facilitate those discussions in a way that makes it safe, that makes it honest, that makes that gives people a space to feel heard and understood, but then also can have constructive discussions towards change. It's a beautiful question, Jesse. First of all, let me just say I've made a lot of mistakes and haven't always done it right. <laughs> Whatever right is. I've certainly yeah. blown it more times than I can count. So I don't have like some like, here's the guaranteed answer that you're never gonna be in a polarized or feel like you made a mistake conversation again so i think one of it is just to be willing to be vulnerable and human and and be in the conversation and then the other for me is about coming back to really grounded communities that we communities of care that just trying to have a conversation, especially on social media or like in an online context with people you don't have that sense of like, I care about this community, the, the, the container. There, there's a great book. I'm originally trained as a therapist, as a counselor. There's a great book in the therapy field that's called, if you're going to learn family therapy, The Family Crucible by Jay Haley. And the central image is that your family is the crucible in, in a laboratory. A crucible is a thing you cook things down in to have um, chemical reactions happen in. Right. So the family, in his way of articulating it, is this crucible that brings up hard things in our interpersonal dynamics and the things that we all have that are maybe not so helpful in terms of love and connection and mm, living in this little community called the family through time. I think community is the same idea. That's the, that many times we don't have those, those containers that will allow us to deal with difficult things unless we choose to join them and be deeply a part of them. So like I've lived in New Mexico since 1993. I've lived here longer than anywhere else in my life. And New Mexico has been an incredible, the single biggest teacher about both 
human relationships and diversity and inclusion because it is the single highest proportion of people of color in the United States. And this is where I've lived. This isn't some theoretical conversation for me. These are my neighbors. These are the people my daughter went to school with. These are the families that um, we sat on the soccer sidelines and cheered our girls on or volleyball or like that when we're doing something to try to make the community a better place, that's it, it, my reference point and my personal care was right there. This is, mm. We're in community together. And many people, especially I would say people who, you know, people who have the more privileged seat in a particular dynamic, let's say as a white man, I have to make that choice. I can choose to not set up my life such that that's, uh, I, I'm not around a lot of people who don't look like me, for instance. I choose to enter into relationships, communities, online and off, where I want to be there. And I value deeply communities where people don't always look like me, don't always think like me, certainly have different embodied experience than I do. And if the community is something we're both committed to, then it can be that crucible where we can hang in there through the you know differences and the maybe even some really challenging moments that I've certainly had. When you try to have a conversation and there isn't a container like that, yeah, just, it, just slinging mud and who's, you know, just like love and care is the, is the pathway through those hard conversations. And if we don't have that connection, then I personally am, you know, just try to be mindful of not investing a lot of time and energy if that's not in place because it's likely to hit that polarized point. What's the, I don't know if this is the right language for it, but what would be the most, the single most beneficial or greatest, you know, it seem like such inappropriate words, but for the lack of my vocabulary, life lesson that you learned from making that conscious choice to, to, as you I think you said, you know, making those choices to choose to be parts of a community where people don't think like you, look like you, talk like you, what has been the greatest lesson that's come out of making that choice for you? The greatest lesson. The two that come to mind, Jesse, are one is um, I'm a better human. Hmm. Or there's more humanity in my awareness. You know, I, I, I didn't grow up in a diverse, I grew up in Westchester County, some of the, you know, most privileged public schools in America per capita, the number of dollars that those districts get is way more than most in the US, you know, and very white, very uh, economically upper middle class. So, so to have more humans and the stories and the personal care of people going through a wider spectrum of embodied experience, I'm a better human. Um, I'm pretty, I walk around grateful a lot. I, um, I, I have a better sense of like why our world is where we are. It's less like, how did we get here? I'm like, no, I kind of got how we got, you know, and I even have some ideas of what really smart people who mostly aren't the ones who are driving things right now uh, suggest, and I believe them, and I'm participating with them to help them have their voices be more heard. It's not like, well, let, 
Paul Zellweger solution, a huge part of what I do these days, Jesse, is amplify. That's why I have a podcast. It's my, it's my activism. Not like, let me tell you, it's let them tell you, <laughs> right? So yeah. that's one, I'm just a better human. And number two is I'm more hopeful. Even though these conversations are really hard, what um, I'm, I, I don't think we'll make it as a human race if we don't have some really hard con. We're not living in a sustainable way on planet Earth. I mean, really profoundly unsustainable. And that can be a source of great concern or even fear or even terror if we're pushing that away and saying, but I like my little bubble where I just get on my yoga mat and I feel happy all the time. But underneath it, some part of us as humans knows we're not living sustainably on planet Earth. So it's not, it, 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 it literally cannot continue because we'll burn up the planet and we'll have nothing to pass on to our children and I don't want that. So it's hard to step into the conversations. I would be lying if I said it's easy, but I don't know how to live on planet Earth in a way where I feel aligned and I get out of bed every day hopeful and I go to work with my full energy and conviction if I was pretending that everything was fine, but it's not. I'm not wired that way. So I can get up and I go to work and I love what I do and I try to give my best and I try to love the people I work with and I try to help them and all the folks in my network doing such incredible things. And at the end of the day, I said, I hope we move the needle enough that life will continue on planet Earth. But even if not, I remember what Martin Luther King said, even if tomorrow I was going to die, I'd still plant my apple tree today, right? Like we're planting today and this is the world, this is what it would take for humans to live on this world sustainably to our best of our collective understanding. And every day that I go to work, that's what I'm looking for. So I'm planting apple trees. That I don't know how else to live with integrity or even my sanity intact in this really poignant time. So I'm happy and I feel sane even if I have hard moments. And I don't think I would be if I wasn't. Mm. What, what does needle moving look like for you, Paul? I am curious because I think a lot of co companies or entrepreneurs, the metrics they use for needle moving are sales or profits uh, or you know, bottom line, whatever that is. But I'm curious, I suspect that your needle moving is a little different. And I, I, I imagine it's, it's emotionally much more meaningful and impactful. Yeah, for me to move, a huge part of my purpose on planet Earth, my primary purpose, Jesse, right now, is to amplify the messages of people doing the world-changing work, like this guy, Peter Sanchez. They 10 x an incredible program uh, it, through good management and understanding bringing some cultural awareness to some to a space in their case it was before and after school programming for kids that's one of the stories that um, he tells in the latest episode and you know there's a lot of people doing good work really good work in the social entrepreneur social impact space this guy just uh, this guy Peter is um, he's a lawyer and an accountant who grew up and, you know, not very economically advantaged situation on the west side of Albuquerque, but got some education, went to Silicon Valley for 20 years, was the CFO for, you know, 
big tech brands and then came back home to do social enterprise, bring the best skill sets he learned as a chief executive officer in Silicon Valley to the social enterprise world and now gives away his lessons for free on a podcast that's free for anybody to listen to. That, that's why I do what I do, to help people who have something incredibly impactful learn how to be better at it so they can help more people and help kind of turn the ship. So what moves the needle when somebody sends me a message saying, I just listened to that episode or I just met so-and-so or I just hired so-and-so and this is a game changer for my ability to make the world a better place. That's what moves the needle for me. Mm. When you go to bed at night, Paul, what is the hope you hold in your heart for the world you wake up to through tomorrow? Hmm. There, there's a way of languaging things in a lot of indigenous traditions that's been called the seven generation. You know, every running every decision through the lens of how does this impact the children and their children. I'm really blessed, Jesse. My daughter's about to turn 20 at the end of May, right? So I don't know when this goes live, you put it live, but somewhere she would be 20 years old, right? And she is a fabulous human who's um, in her own way now working towards social, studying, uh, to, to studying social entrepreneurship and um, positive change in different but similar ways. And when I hear about what she's doing or when I can say, when I can look her in the eye and say, you know, here's what I, she knows what I do. She actually works for a bunch of my clients. She started doing social media management when she was 13 years old for my client. She knows what I do. And when we have a conversation, I can look her in the eye and in my heart of hearts be like, you know, I hope we turn the ship. I, I don't, I'm doing everything I know how to turn, to contribute towards turning the ship of sustainable human life on planet earth for you and your kids and all that she knows that like she knows how and i know how deeply she cares about the world we live in and what she's trying to do to make it a better place and we both hope that it's enough to turn the ship but even if it weren't i can look her in the eye and know that she knows that what i do is my best effort on a daily basis and tomorrow can I get even better at it please but like literally her but not just her every young person on the planet whether I know them or not I feel a deep gratitude to be able to feel in every cell in my body that I'm my work I do it to try to live in integrity for them and to hope they feel that there are many people right now who are working really hard to try to, like I said, steer that ship in the direction of more sustainability and leave them a world that we want to leave them as opposed to the path we've been on, which um, even if human life continues on planet Earth, it's not a kind or it's not the kind of life I'd want for any human being. When you talk about sustainability, Paul, that seems like it's, it's almost it's such a broad place to start. And for the person listening right now who's compelled, they have 
there's different issues that have been raised, different things have been spoken to that may be calling to their heart, speaking to their heart, or maybe they've always had it there. It's just, it's, this is giving them permission to explore it. But there's so much, you know, whether it's environmental concerns, it's race relations, it's economic things. Is it, you know, where does somebody start? Do they start with the, do they start with what's on their heart? But then if it's all on their heart, you know, how, how does someone best use, channel their energy, their, their resources, meaning their, their mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial resourcefulness to start to create change? It's a great question, Jesse. I would say at this point, I don't think any one of us can do this alone. It's just too much happening too fast in too many domains. So for me, what I would suggest is that somebody either dig deeper into the communities you have or find new communities that feel like they can meet your level of care and desire to make a difference. Look really granularly, like for instance, um, at a global level, the uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals, right? There's 17 Sustainable Development Goals and 17 of the, you know, the, the, the smartest minds on the planet, they've tried to help us see here's 17 key levers we can pull on. And if we do a good job of pulling on them, we'll turn the ship. And whether it's, like you said, environmentally or gender um, equity or diversity, equity, and inclusion, or what's happening with water or sustainable food growth, whatever, they've really brought together key people and they're collaborating and sharing information and knowledge and there's ways to get involved literally on a global level, right? Mm. I'm involved in that to the extent I know how and trying to get more involved in that because I think they're doing a good job. I can't do it alone, but with a global group where there's some very, again, don't, for me personally, it's not very inspiring or effective to just talk about change in some big, but non uh, action oriented way. So I love the sustainable development goals because here they're saying here's 17 areas, here's action goals in each one, here's people who are leaders in each one. And let's collaborate to, you know, find other people in these areas, but also, to bring more resources and awareness to the people who are acting in each of these 17. That's a great example on a global level. There's all kinds of examples on a local level. It's also why the main thing we offer through Awarepreneurs, the startup that I'm um, the founder of, is this 300 member community because these folks are incredibly both generous and also caring in the big picture, but they're doing things. <laughs> They've got real world ventures that are helping real world people and not just talking about change and some kind of just cycling around a bunch of words. People are doing things. And personally, I don't have a lot of patience for, you know, either individual. I'm not unsympathetic. There's a lot to talk about, but at a certain point, you got to roll up your sleeves and find your place and put your shovel in the ground and feel good about that. And if you're not yet clear how to do that, then find a community of people who know something about these areas you're passionate about and go get involved there rather than cycling around with energy that's not ever put mm. into practice. Paul, we're running into that ish barrier I told you about with the time that I did. So I have to be respectful of time and I'll just ask one more question. Sure. 
one of the things I find so fascinating about humanity is I believe at our very core, no matter how extreme we may see in our hearts, we are fundamentally after the same things. The person who wants to drill oil, the person who wants to not drill oil, the person who is pro this or anti that. When you really start to strip it all down, chunk it down to the core, you'll see that the similarities between the two completely seemingly opposites are so identical. Mm. And I find that for my work with, with people over the years has always come down to decisions and changes they decided to make, more specifically a key decision or a key change they chose mm. that got them off of one path and onto another. I'm curious, you, you've had the privilege of working with so many different entrepreneurs, these driven people, but they're, they're conscious and they're thinking in, a, in a, a very much a we versus me type of way. Is, has there been something that you noticed? Has there been a, a, a key decision or choice that they made that seems to be universal through them that has been the decision or the choice they've made that has put them on this path? And I ask that question because I hold the space always for people who are listening and watching that if anything, this can inspire a decision or a choice for them mm. that will affect a proactive and positive change in how they live their life, how they run their company that really aligns with their greater purpose, mission, values. And I'm wondering if this, if you've noticed that in the work you've done, has there been a, a, a a very familiar thread of choice or decision that you see people make and that way maybe it's a breadcrumb for somebody who's listening and watching to follow that's a great question jesse the the similarities although there's a great diversity in how people do this the the very first question we ask on the podcast in awarepreneurs we just posted 121 this morning um awesome um, is what's a wellness or an awareness practice that you personally do to resource you for this important but not easy work, right? Th there's some practice, and those practices have ranged from a contemplative Christian tradition to time in nature to uh, meditation to yoga, but some practice for me, I do seven, I do several practices, but for example, I do seven minutes of meditation every day. I got, I know I'm busy. Yeah. But like seven, I got seven minutes. I'm not that busy. And it's that time to settle my nervous system and kind of come back to who am I and what am I doing here? And what does that look like for this day, which is different than any other day? I don't care what the practice is, but the activists or the people who are working toward change that don't have one, especially in these very poignant times and we're surrounded by a lot of uncertainty and people are walking around with fear or uncertainty in their bellies and we pick up on that from each other. Just something to like center yourself and bring the most resourced human to the important conversations that your listener, each listener is working on the people that don't have that tend to have less in the world results and they tend to burn out more. So the, the common thread is some practice that works for you that helps you remember who you are. Why are you on this planet? What are your values? And how is that showing up in your day today in this moment 
and then tomorrow remember again and the day after that remember again everyone my goodness are you going to want to rewatch re-listen and take some notes paul laid down just such a beautiful display of i think really the human condition and what can be possible for all of us when we think the we versus me the idea of looking around your communities the place you live, extending your community from your neighborhood, your city, your town, your, your county, your state, your country, and beyond, and your globe, and realizing that the people who you might share a property line with, or a zip code with, or maybe a, a Facebook geotag with, are not just strangers, but they are your community, your friends, your, your extended family in many ways. And while they may seem different, or they may act and operate differently initially, understanding that they may too have the same basic needs and concerns as you. They're trying to figure out how to be loved, trying to figure out how to provide for their families, trying to feel like how they belong, to feel safe, to not feel scared or unprotected. And that inside of each of us, if we, we rewire the, Paul laid it out perfectly, you know, so many of us, we forget to start with why as Simon Sinek laid out for us in his TED talk in the, the book, but instead we get deal with the who, the what, and the how. But start with your why. Define what your why is for yourself. Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? And if that why is not singing to your heart, it's an opportunity to really dive deeper. That change really begins with developing community. That change can come from expanding that. That social awareness is not about making it a right or wrong battle, but maybe it's just about holding space for others and giving them a platform to be seen and heard and then providing a platform as Paul's beautifully doing to others who are doing extraordinary things. So it's not you telling the world about why it should be. It's you finding the people who can and allowing them to tell what the world, why they can be. I love that at the end of the day, one of the most important decisions we all make is what's our practice for ourselves. The seven minutes of meditation that Paul carves out for himself. What's the seven minutes that you can carve out for you? It doesn't, you, you know, many of us live such busy lives, but we always can find seven minutes for something that will better us. And by starting with ourselves, we, you know, it's the old airline adage, secure your oxygen mask first and you'll be much more well-equipped to secure the oxygen mask of everyone else. Paul, this has been such a blessing to share this time with you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your gifts, and for how you show up in the world and who you are and, and why you do what you do. Thank you, Paul. Been an honor to be here, Jesse, and thank you for doing this series. Absolutely. We'll see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to